Pelletero Pickle episode 59. We have a special guest this week, Kevin Goldstein. He is a writer with Fangraphs, former MLB executive, opens up about player development and scouting and pro scouting. Really, really awesome episode. Some terrific insight. You're going to love this one. Check it out. Pelotero Pickle, episode 59. It is September 27th. We have a special guest with us today. But first, a reminder, send us your questions. Tweet at us. Email is pickle at pelotero.com. Twitter is at Pelotero Pickle. Send us your questions. We love digging into your topics. Let's get right into it. We have a special guest, Kevin Goldstein, with us today. Uh, if you don't know who he is, we're going to get all into it. And as always, we have Chris Calabella with us. Uh, Chris always gives me a hard time that I go right to the guest, but Kevin, how are you doing today? Como esta, Pelotero Amigos? That was nice. Well played. <laughs> he gets it, Pelotero. That's good. <laughs> nice. How's everything going? I know you're with, uh, Everything's you're going great. with Fangraphs now. You have a podcast called Chin Music. Um, I'm ready to dig in to, to topics if, if you want to. I was going to see how your day was going, but are you ready to jump in? My day's going fine. It's fun. It's, you know, I, I, it's nice to have a last week of baseball that matters. You know, I think so often, you know, we usually have a walk card, but you know, to have actual, you know, things to think about and things that are still undetermined and um, you know, excited about the, this Braves Philly series coming up, see what goes down in the West. Yeah, no, that's, I'm doing great. Yeah, there's a lot of activity right now. As you can tell, I wore my, uh, my postseason hat and Bolt wants to eat it. Um, yeah, I feel like it's a special week in baseball to your point. Yeah, absolutely. Always. It's a, it's a, it's a really exciting time. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's fun to see some teams clint and see them celebrate, let them, you know, take the next week, not off, but obviously have a whole lot of pressure and kind of line things up for the, for the playoffs and, and things like that. It's going to be a fun week. And then, then the playoffs will start. We know that's a good time. And Tampa have the ultimate control because they can either let the Yankees win or try. <laughs> which is going to be interesting. It's funny because, you know, obviously, you know, I worked in the Astros front office for eight years and plenty of those years we made the playoffs. And this is the time year where you always have that discussion of, well, who do we want to play? Who do we want to play? Um, and I just don't think, I, I think there's an answer that's a reasonable answer to those questions, but at the same time, like, you know, it's the playoffs, man. It's, you know, it, it's Baltimore has a decent chance of beating the Rays in a seven game series. Obviously the Rays would be prohibitive favorites, but it's baseball. This is not like football where teams go 15 and one or basketball where teams, you know, win 80, 85% of the games This is baseball. Like the best team, the historic teams win two thirds and these short series that's, you know, throw a dart, flip a coin. It's tough. Yeah. But I think that's why the wild card game matters so much. Right. Like, and you've seen it in the past. I, somebody had asked me a couple of years ago when the nationals beat the Astros in the world series, I said, just be careful of the nationals. If they win the wild card game. You can't guarantee they're going to win that game. And as a matter of fact, Milwaukee had the game won, basically. Yep. And then, you know, Trent Grisham decided to black out and right field that play. But it's like one hop, like one bounce off a of pebble can change everything, right? Re- one yeah. bounce off a of pebble. If, you, if anybody watched Sunday Night Baseball last night, it was, I mean, literally, catch some, if somebody just catches the ball, if they didn't black out in the seventh and eighth inning, the game is completely different. And then, like one moment leads to another. So you always want to look back on these individual moments, but that one moment caused another moment. So that's, I think where, you know, that's how do you not romanticize baseball? Aaron Rodgers said it last night. How are you not romantic about football? Well, how are you not romantic about baseball? Yeah. I am not romantic about football. It's a dumb, dumb sport. Yeah. 
<laughs> Chris is a Chris is a huge Tom Brady fan. We'll get into that later. <laughs> I'll save it. I'll save it. <laughs> they had a tough game yesterday. All so right. I'm I'm curious, Kevin, and learning more about your past. So we were kind of doing stuff in parallel, but from different angles. Where I was going down the swing revolution path, trying to figure out how to teach hitters better. You were doing the baseball pr- prospectus writing. We were both writing at the same time, but from very different angles. I'm curious about how you got into writing to begin with, like what, like growing up, what was baseball to you? I'm just curious about your journey in, in terms of like, I mean, to go, you were, I mean, do you have seven hours Exodus from Twitter to the hitting world? Like everybody got hired off Twitter to be hitting. Right. You did it in 2012, jump, making the jump from writing to organized baseball. So I'm curious about how that all happened. Uh, I'm still not sure myself at times. Um, I won't go into the whole past. How I got into baseball. That's a, that's a whole, that's a three hour story in and of itself. But, you know, at a certain point I became kind of the, the lead prospect guy and, and kind of player development and other things guy at, at baseball prospectus. And then um, like weird things started happening and, and, you know, somewhere really more around 2010 or so I, you know, once in a while, um, cause I, I still do, but like, I talked to lots of people in front offices to help me with what I was writing and help me with my work. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, people started saying, have you ever thought about working for a team? And I would say, no, because I didn't know that was possible. Um, they go, oh, we should talk. And then I'm like, oh, okay, that's weird. And um, in 2011, the winter meetings in 2011, which were in Dallas, um, was the first time I actually met with a team. Um, and then once 2012 arrived, uh, you know, I, I, I was... I mean, I was actually talking to four teams when I joined the Astros and it was, you know, I remember having a, a dinner with, with my partner, who's now my wife and, and telling her, I, you know, I think we're going to have to talk about a real decision we have to make come this fall. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, believe it or not, the Astros reached out to me, Jeff Luno, the then general manager, uh, reached out to me via Twitter direct message. Um, and said, the DMs. and said, uh, Hey, we're in Chicago playing at Wrigley field. Um, can you come meet with me? Um, I said, yeah, that seems like something I should probably do. And, uh, and I, and I went and met with them and it was kind of clear by the second inning of the game that this was more of a job interview than a meet. And, um, when that was over, um, he said he'd be in touch with me and cause he wanted to bring me to Houston for a more formal talk and, and things came together and I spent, you know, eight years there, seven of which were a hell of a lot of fun. And the Astros were not good at that point in time. The Astros were awful. Yeah. It really turned things around. What were, what were kind of the deciding factors for you to go there? I interviewed with multiple teams, had opportunities, decided. I, I always felt like I want to stay on the player side of things. So what were, how did you make that decision to, to make that jump? Or um, how did you pick between the teams, I guess? It was the best offer in front of me, both in terms of cash um, and, but also in terms of position, um, I had a clear path to a director title, which I got to in one year, um, which I didn't necessarily have with some of the other teams. Um, and there was also kind of a, just a, like a real kind of freedom there. I felt like it was just like, you know, I went in there with a presentation and said, Hey, if I'm going to run pro scouting, here's how I'd run pro scouting. And like, had things to show and it was very much like if i bring you in to run pro scouting i'm going to leave you alone and let you run pro scouting um which is what happened and so um it was it was you know the quality of the work was was very very important and what i could you know and what i would do was a better position for me i thought it makes sense so chris chris's journey are you familiar with chris's path to the big leagues oh just oh of course i am 
All right, that'll he's that'll stroke his ego quite this a bit. My, this is my job. brush my shoulders off a little oh. bit. <laughs> I want everybody's also in, like completely familiar with my crash and burn at the end. Which, but I want to I want to say, and I could be remembering this wrong, that at some point we went after you as a minor league free agent. See, I didn't have too many cracks at it because I was when I signed with the Twins. I signed, see Bolt's interested in this story. I signed like one of those extended deals because it was really my first contract offer. Right, right, right. In in third in fourteen after I got I got put on waivers by the Twins, uh, which I I'd had a really big April. I, I, I drove in a ton of runs and then I hurt my thumb. And I think I imagine that was probably the time that there was a lot of interest. Um, and I, I was hearing rumblings through like, yeah, kind of get me on waivers and the blue Jays just, I mean, right. um, toward the, the, the lower part of the, of the American league. So I think that's how they got me. And I was excited to go to Toronto because I had played well against them. And I knew a lot of people there, but it would have been cool to be in Houston. I liked, I raked in Houston. I always raked at that. It's point. a good park for you. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So how about this? Let's let's get into that a little bit. What what would make a player like Chris attractive to the Astros versus another player? Um, you know, obviously, you know, even going back to you know my first few years with the Astros, you know, there was already um, a focus on a lot of underlying data. Um, you know, the kind of stuff that we see commonplace now was not commonplace then. And it's something that the Astros early on had a competitive advantage on one that they've lost over the years, uh, you know, not by any fault of their own, as much as other teams have kind of caught up, um, you know, and looking at, you know, it's, I don't need to tell you that Chris hits balls hard, um, probably still does. And uh, that's a big thing. Like, you know, and, too much. and it uh. means, but it, you know, it's funny because it means more, it means even more in 2021 than it did in 2012, um, you know, it's something that we don't talk about enough, I think, is that defensive players are better than ever. Um, defensive players at this point are absolute magicians. And if you are going to survive in baseball, unless you are some sort of contact freakazoid, you know, like Nick Madrigal or something, you have your contact has to be hard. You have to hit balls hard. And it's why, you know, you know I'm an old man. I'm 52. But if, if you go back, uh, you know, and look at lineups, even in the 80s and 90s, um, you know, often you're up the middle dudes, your shortstop, your second baseman, your, your center field, your catcher were all there for defense and you hope they could hit a little bit, but they're also guys you were hoping to get maybe, you know, five to eight home runs a year from, uh, you line up a playoff roster at this point, uh, look at any of these playoff teams. If you groove something or hang something one to nine, they're going to hit it out one to nine, like they're, they all are dangerous enough where they can hit a mistake. Um, and that wasn't the case. And, you know, you go even further back to eighties and seventies and eighties and teams had, you know, maybe three guys who could do that. Um, but the game's changed so much. It's become such a power game because you have to hit balls to survive. You know, what's funny yeah, is these, somebody texted me the other night after the, the mess documentary and somebody asked me how many teams I thought the 86 Mets would, how many games the 86 Mets would win in 2021 and I said, I don't know, but they'd beat the shit out of everyone if they didn't. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, absolutely. And, and yeah, I mean, my answer would be in the 50s. Yeah. So but so to me, it's it's such a such a disservice to compare generational, you know, the best team of this generation versus the best. It's like when Ottavino said he would strike Babe Ruth out on three pitches. I was like, all right, cool. You go back to 1919 with your stuff right now. Yeah, you'll strike him out three times. No but question. If you take Babe Ruth and you make him born in you know, 1984. Or right. Whatever. That's yeah. Different story, you know? Yeah. That's and, the fun conversation to have. And like, you know, people don't 
take it into account. And, you know, high school kids run as fast as, you know, 30s and 40s Olympic gold medalists. Um, you know, someone showed me once like the, the roster of the first Super Bowl team and their offensive linemen were all like 6'3", 230. You know, yeah. and 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 if you've I don't know if you if you watch like old video of like '60s NBA, none of the, like the baseball players we have today are the best baseball players of all time. And ten years from now, that now we'll be saying the same thing. You know, the players who are playing right now are the best players of all time in any sport. Yeah, the technology advances, training, diff diets, like they're always it's there's just always going to be like the next thing. Right. But I think it's so unfair because I'm a traditionalist, right? I'm a traditionalist in the game and. I know that without Babe Ruth or without Ted Williams or without Mickey Mantle and, and, and the guys that have come before us, like we wouldn't be where we are. And just, you know, we, we can never, it's easy for us, right? We live right now. So we're saying, Oh yeah, we're better than those guys, but you don't know the, 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 the stuff that they were dealing with outside of the game, the things mm -hmm. that were different for them, whether it be, you know, whatever, for, there's a million different factors. So I look at it from the player perspective and I say, I just respect and I'm thankful and appreciative for the opportunities that we got. And because of that, I was able to, to carve out a path. But I, when I talk to older players, I, I have such an appreciation for how heady they were in terms of like how much they had to think the game and, and oh, how yeah. advanced they were mentally. And I think that's, so you said the best players of all time, I'm going to say the best athletes of all time. Cause I think there were far better players than there are in this generation. I think that's why the league's not hitting because Maybe we don't know how to. Maybe we haven't taught them well. Uh, maybe pitchers are that good. Maybe uh, yeah. Maybe I was gonna say things. maybe every team's rolling out five dudes who can throw ninety eight with eighty eight mile an hour sliders too. Yeah, and I I agree with all those things being a factor. And I, I I'm not sitting here saying I'm gonna put my finger on any any one of them. Certainly, guys have better stuff. There's no question about that. That's just better stuff and tunneling and this all this good stuff. But I also think hitters are not as heady now because they've relied on swing training they've relied on physical training to get them to the point where they're made out to be major leaguers and then this is a part of where i think the analytics and hitting the ball hard becomes like a, maybe overvalued a little bit i don't think there's ever a time where hitting the ball hard is bad but understanding what you hit hard like a couple years ago ryan zimmerman they said was the unluckiest hitter in the game because he was hitting a bunch of hard ground balls to pull side well if they're shifting you dude like you need to not hit it there. Or don't hit it on the ground for sure. You're out. You're out. Like you're out in the big leagues. To your point, best defenders ever. You're out. Sorry. So at some point it has to, and this is where I get like a little bit. I was a hitter. I was a hitter first. I was always average first. Getting hits mattered. It's an art. And that's the one thing that I feel like is kind of devalued in the game today. And it makes me upset. I'll stop for now. That was good. I knew Chris was going to go on a rant like that at some point. So that's good. Um, I want to bring up a specific player and it's not meant to be a dig or anything, but I'm just more curious about the, the process of player development, understanding human element, some of the stuff that Chris was just talking about. So JD Martinez, he's kind of a guy that was kind of a swing revolution guy. When you look at his trajectory and, you know, he went to winter ball, made adjustments, came back in the spring, didn't hit very well that spring. How is, how is a human element part of the algorithm? How is that? What, how is it weighted? Um, can you give us an inside glimpse into like decisions that were made or, or thought processes and how is that involved? Because it's something that as Chris was just alluding to with the younger players of the game, this, this whole showcase generation, 
feel like it's missing. It's, it's underdeveloped. It's incredibly valuable, but there's this JD Martinez is a guy that's always going to work and always going to pursue his best. So I'm curious, curious what your, your kind of insight is on that, on him. Like, he's, like you said, JD Martinez went down to Venezuela, um, reworked his swing, had some success there, came to spring training that year uh, and, and was awful. Um, and uh, there were roster decisions to be made. And there was a crunch and, you know, we had to, and the 40 man had to get configured somehow. Um, his last day with the Astros, uh, myself and others went to go see him on a backfield game. And it was one of those, I'm sure Chris is at some of these where the big leaguers with the minor leaguer. So he leads off every inning. So he's going to get nine at bats. Um, he went 0 for nine with six or seven whiffs. Um, and the decisions were made either the, that either that day or the next day. Um, and nobody, including myself guilty, um, stood up for him near there. All five but letting him go. And obviously it was a huge mistake. Um, cause he really was onto something and, and, and it obviously ended up working. He think become, you know, a massively dangerous bat and, um, you miss on dudes and you try to, you know, I, I, I can talk for much longer and in far more detail about things I got wrong than things I got right. Cause I think that's what you focus on and that's sure. where you, that's where you learn things. Um, and that was a huge mistake. And you know, the human factor, um, I agree with you on the showcase circuit and things like that, but you know, once you think about the actual draft, um, now you do sit down with these kids and you talk to them and, and, and more importantly, like every team has, um, you know, either a, you know, a team psychologist or someone with a weirder title, like a mental skills expert and things like that. And, um, and, and you are looking at that makeup aspect, as long as you can agree what makeup really is, um, which is, can be a real struggle for a lot of teams. You know, I care about his love of baseball, his work ethic, and his openness to coaching and changing. You know, that's what, that's what I care about. That's the makeup I look for is, is I can think of people who I would never want to see away from a ballpark in any capacity. Uh, who I would still say have great makeup because they, they show up, they love baseball, they love playing, they want to get better. They're obsessed with it. You know, I, I can, you know, a great example is Justin Verlander and, you know, the, the, the Astros acquired Justin Verlander in 2017. Um, Justin Verlander had won multiple Cy Youngs, won an MVP. Like Justin Verlander could have walked in there and said, Hey, fuck you nerds. And it would have been fine. Cause he's Justin Verlander. It would have been totally fine. Right. He walked in and said, what do you got? Sean, I want to see everything you have for me. I want to see all the data. I want to see everything you got. Tell me what you, you know, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think of every pitch. Show me everything you have. Um, that's makeup. You know, that's a guy who's just like driven to constantly get better, even though he's already Justin Verlander. I, I agree with that. I'll give you a pass on J.D. Martinez because at the time, the swing revolution thing wasn't really – like it hadn't taken off. Like Bobby hadn't thrown the home run derby. Not everybody's talking about swing changes. It was early enough that like, I don't think people really fundamentally understood the characteristics of For sure. the best swings in the game. And the way the, he was the one that introduced them to me. So like, I, I think he was always just a little bit ahead of everybody else. Right. And, you know, you got the Doug Lottas and Craig Wallenbrocks and whatever's of the world who probably saw it a little bit differently, maybe didn't orate it as well. Um, so there's, there's definitely a pass in my book on, on, on that guy, because to your point, when you're cutting down rosters, you're thinking about a lot of a million different things. 
And I couldn't agree with you more about makeup because like when pushed up, it's about agreeing on makeup. Like how do you agree on what is makeup, right? There's to me like that, what you just said is, is, is awesome because I feel like when, when you get around guys in the clubhouse, at least as from the player side, you can figure out right away who the dudes are that, you know, are going to come with it every day in terms of like how they're going to work, what they're going to listen to, whether they're going to be receptive to new information and like the other 70% of dudes who are in the big leagues that don't even really like baseball that much, that are just really good at it. And I was shocked when I got there. I was like, is this real life? Like, is this guy, this guy's like a seven years in the show and he doesn't even like playing. So I think from the standpoint of building a winning team, you definitely need those guys. You Mm -hmm. need those makeup guys that are obsessed with the game, because if you don't, then the analytics don't matter in my opinion, because you like, Alex Antopoulos said it to me after I asked him, I said, what made you change going into 2015? Like what made you, cause he talked about character to character guys all through spring training. He goes, Chris, for the last four years, we had just built teams based on what the analytics said and nobody liked each other. I walked through the clubhouse, nobody would talk to each other. And then we would always lose. And I'm watching teams celebrate on our field. And then all of a sudden we brought in a bunch of guys that like were baseball lifers that loved the game. And mm-hmm. before you know it, and as long as you have enough of them, it can offset the ones that aren't. Right. Like as long as you have more of the guys that love the game and want to learn, want to grow, you can offset the guys that don't. Right. Like I can name seven guys on my team in 15 that like if I had to start a team, I wouldn't use them, but I'd take them as like complimentary pieces because that's all they need to be. So I think it's it's a difficult paradigm. So I'm I give you a pass on JD and I like what you said about (laughs) makeup. It's a great story on JD with the the nine at bat poor, poor showing. And it, it kind of speaks to the, like, you got to perform in front of the right people at the right times. If well, you, and you could also make the argument that homers that day. You could different. also, we absolutely. could also hear, it might be the best thing that ever happened to him, right? Because No, was, absolutely. I, I say this all the time and I can't tell you how many times that I've written like in a scouting report or something like this dude's going to have a really good year and it's probably going to be four years from now in his third organization. It's not going to happen here. You know? And um, it sometimes it just takes time. And then we ran out of time with JD. And it's funny you say that, you know, talking about the swing revolution stuff. A lot of the stuff that, that maybe we figured out about swings later on, going back in time, if we knew then what we knew now kind of thing, it might have changed that decision because he, he checked a lot of boxes once we knew about some things about swings. Sure. How, how are you guys doing swing stuff? Because I, some of the different organizations I interviewed with, they had some systems, they had some ideas of what they were doing. I actually, I, I interviewed this one team and they asked me what my process was like, what's your system? And I just pointed at my head. I'm like, it's just, I, I watch hitters. I see what I see. It was the stupidest answer I ever could have given them. I didn't know it at the time, <laughs> but I thought they wanted me and they're like, no, they want your information. They want you, yeah, to, build, for sure. they want you to build tools in a system. Um, so I'm curious about like, when did you guys start that? Cause you guys obviously on the pitching side seem to have figured out some stuff yeah. that's been, uh, Brent Strom with on the pitching side, there was stuff going on there. The Verlander type, like, hey, maybe don't throw two seamers or like a Garrett Cole when he got over there. So, what on the hitting side? What were you guys finding on that side? Yeah, I mean, the Astros are always, I think, ahead of the curve on the hitting side or the pitching side, rather. And you know, and and we're you know very very early adopters on TrackMan, and and we're looking to get you know, a way to be early adopters on the hitting side as well. They were early adopters on, on blast motion mm-hmm. kind of thing, but honestly it took boy um, at, the, at a minimum a year 
to even glean anything out of blast motion data. And there's still a lot of data in there that's actually not important. There's a lot of really important data in there, but there's a lot of stuff in there that's like, I don't, I don't really care. Um, the, 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 the biggest problem with hitting, and I, I think, you know, you definitely would know this as well, is just that there's all sorts of things we can measure with hitting and with hitting mechanics. And we can measure, you know, swing paths and, and, and trigger times and, you know, make sure the bat's getting in the zone quickly, getting in, you know, and measure, you know, swing planes, very important, as you know. Um, like with a pitcher, everything is in front of you. Um, you know, we can see how he's releasing it. We can measure the exact velocity. We can measure the exact spin. We can measure all the horizontal movement, all the vertical movement. It's all there in front of you. The most important thing to hitting a baseball is hand eye coordination. And we don't have lasers to measure that. I can't put a sensor inside your brain and say player A is better hand eye coordination than player B. I am incapable of it. The technology doesn't exist. And so for me, the most important aspect for hitting a baseball is not one we can actively measure. And so, you know, I, 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 I'm still always struck. And like I said, all this stuff's super important. You can make swings better. You can do all sorts of stuff. But if the player doesn't have hand-eye coordination, you can have the perfect swing in the world. He ain't going to hit. I'm going I'm to take it one further, if that's all right. I'm, I don't know if I'm interrupting you. If I am, I'm sorry. No, you're good. You just said it. On the pitching side, so here's the funny thing. If you get a pitcher to control the things that he can control – He's going to be really good. Like you guys took Ryan Presley, who was my teammate in Minnesota, and you told him, stop throwing cutters, you idiot, which is I basically said to him in 2013, no offense, Ryan, because you've done really well. And now he's awesome, right? Like he's like best pitchers ever. Like, great. Took Verlander, Cole, all these guys that came over there and just said, control the things that you can control and you can be really good. And that's what happened, I think. And that's how the whole, this how pitchers are now maximizing their stuff, right? Bobby's talked about it with, floor and ceiling stuff you can get a hitter to go control all the things he can control really well and as soon as you go oh for 12 like different story guys like i'm sorry like there's this piece where it's like you are at the mercy of what the guy on the mound is doing to you and every swing every pitch is a different it's like a different story that's being told and you have to figure out where you fit in that story. And look, I got, you know, I was, I was reading, Bobby sent me a quote from uh, somebody last night and it was referencing Ted Williams and how Ted Williams got really stubborn at swinging at stuff that he wanted to swing at. And like pitchers became impatient because he wouldn't swing at what they wanted him to swing at. And then I would say Bonds probably very similar and Bonds yeah. had the, the luxury of like getting calls to later in his career. He earned them. Sure. Whatever, 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 wherever we stand on the, the automated strike zone. I think a lot of hitters don't even understand what makes them good. Like, Oh, for sure. And that, 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 that goes back to the hand eye coordination. Also like the other things that hitters can control that have nothing to do with their, like we can talk about swing mechanics all day if you want, but like, again, like I could give me the perfect swing. I'm not going to hit, right? It's just how it is. You could give me the mechanically perfect swing. That doesn't mean I can hit because the hand-eye coordination is not at any sort of anything resembling a professional athletic level. Uh, and then there's the other aspect, which are swing decisions. You know, it's, 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 there's plenty of guys with perfect swings who have horrible approaches, who don't understand the strike zone, who don't understand how to recognize pitches. And so they make horrible swing decisions. So then they have this perfect swing. Doesn't matter doesn't matter a blip and and so there's all these things that's why the industry as a whole is still um light years ahead on evaluating and developing pitchers 
than they are hitters because there's these factors that are really, really difficult to, to measure and or kind of develop and improve in terms of, of this hand-eye coordination piece, which is still a black box in terms of figuring out. Um, and then just the swing decision aspect, which is, it's really hard to teach a guy who doesn't walk to walk. Like it's, it's really, really hard. The guys kind of have an approach and, um, you know, there was success with some guys and you think about, you know, just players I'm familiar with, like Jose Altuve became a guy from a, who went from a bad approach to a good approach. But, you know, most players, even if you're going to make an improvement, it's a, it's a minor one. It goes from a bad approach to a fringy approach, you know, or an average approach to a good approach. It's rare that a guy kind of makes a two-step jump somewhere. And so those two aspects are there and still really difficult to address. Where, like I said, with a pitcher, it's all right there in front of you. You have everything you need. You know exactly what this is. Like it, it's, it's, it doesn't require anything else. And then there's so many kind of you know, little magic pieces to hitting that are still little magic pieces that we can't really mess around a lot. And I'm always struck by you know, a guy who I think is one of the better scouts in the world who you know, we're sitting in a game, we're watching a really good player. Um, and he just kind of leaned into me and he said, you know what hitters do? And I said, what? He just went, they hit. And I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. So yes. I have a question. I have a question to follow up to that. Right. First of all, my Jose Altuve first bat I ever got signed right there. Like he was the, I said, oh, Chiquito, nice. Chiquito, Chiquito, firma <laughs> that was my favorite bat I ever got. He was my first one. Cause you know, he's like two foot six or whatever. Love, love Jose Altuve, everything about him. Um, if, and when, this is an if and when question, does batting average matter to you? Like, does it or not? It's not a zero. It's not the first, second, or third thing I look at. Um, you know, if I am doing my job and, like, I'm told, hey, Kevin, I need you to evaluate this player, um, the first things I'm looking at are contact rates uh, and swing rates uh, both in and out of the zone. Yeah. Um, those are the first things I'm looking at. And then kind of, um, you know, for lack of a better term, without going into much detail, more of a quality of the batted ball. Um, so what's the ball look like off the bat? Um, you know, everything from exit velocities to, you know, cause this guy you know, hitting balls on a line in the air on the ground. Um, and so like batting average is indicative of things. Um, it's not, uh, especially important in terms of like, there are plenty of, I mean, look, Joey Gallo hits 230, he's super valuable. Um, you know, I got about to start a fight with that one. A guy like, you know, again, heart rate just went up. yeah, again, again, a guy like Nick Madrigal can hit 300 and be mildly valuable because he, there's nothing around it. There's, there's, there's no walks, there's no power. And so, you know, if, if you get scientific and just measure kind of the base value of what a guy does, um, you know, on base and slugging are far more important. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I don't think I discredit any of those things, but I think there's a, there's a line where I say at some point hitter, like hitters hit, right? There's a reason why Miguel Cabrera is going to finish with a lifetime batting average of like 310 or whatever. Sure, he was, yeah, and absolutely. I think, I think, I think looking at the batting average in the short term, it's it's like almost like playing poker. Like luck's going to be a factor in the short term, right? But over the long run, like if you play right when you play poker, it's going to manifest itself and you make money, right? And to that point, like I would say, like guys that hit for average are just going to hit for average. And I, I always people used to ask me all the time, like, do you want to, you know, would you rather be a guy that hits three three thirty with ten or? or 350 with 10 or 250 with 40. And I was like, neither. 
I wanted to be the guy that hit 330 with 30. I wanted to be Pujols Cabrera. I wanted to be the best because those were the guys that were the best to me, right? Like you have a chance to hit 330 when you don't, you hit 294 and you hit 32 homers and like you have a great year knocking 100 because I thought those were the, the guys that were the most complete hitters. They had the ability to do everything. They could go line to line, move a runner when they needed to, shoot a ball in the hole, take their singles. So I, I, I wonder like, I think we de- we've devalued batting average so much that we don't like, I don't think that organizations are really looking at long run stuff. And I know it's hard to evaluate at the high school and collegiate level and say like, what does this batting average reflect moving forward going up a level? But I just think I was always a batting average guy. So I get my feelings hurt when like, no, I, yeah, no, I get it. I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's zero, but like, you know, it's, it's, you know, front office is measuring really precisely runs, you know, that's what they're measuring runs you know, and how much run every event in baseball is worth. And you're measuring all those things and batting average is, is a piece of it, but it's, it's just one piece of it. Um, and, you know, the, the, the due to its, you know, assuming on base stuff is equal, the due to its 275 with 30 is better than the due to its 300 with 10. Like, it's just, he's creating more, he's getting more bases, you know, he's, he's doing what it, you know, what he's doing is more valuable in terms of scoring runs and therefore getting wins than the due to its 300 with 10. Like, and it's, they're both good players, but you just have to, you know, at some point you got to measure value and then it gets down to the ugly stuff. Like, well, then what's that player worth? How much do you want to pay that player? Um, you know, and, and, and that's where you need to actually decide, well, who's more valuable in terms of, of, you know, putting things in the wind column. How many times, how many times do like those formulas though, right? Like everything we talk about surplus value all the time, you know, one point of surplus award. value is a weird thing and then yeah, not, yeah. not a great thing. If you've got like a point of war, right? Generally speaking, Bobby told me this, so I'm, I'm going off him. I know he's years ago, but go yeah, like, you know, seven to $10 million of net worth to the team, right? So, like, I, I started paying attention to that. And then I saw, for example, Michael Brantley. Like, Michael Brantley played at like four going into free agency or whatever for the Indians. And then all of a sudden, the Astros were like, so that would be technically 28 million. So, like, yeah, we'll give you 16 million per for two years, like, because your age and this and, all that other stuff. So I always wondered like how many times do those formulas not work? Because I watched the Red Sox in 2010 <laughs> get predicted to win 172 games in their 162 game season. And they didn't even make the playoffs. So when, when you're building, when you're building rosters, like where, where's the, like, where, where's the, like, how can the formula be right? If it misses is my kind of thing. You know? Well, I mean, you know, I'm just guessing this about you, but you are a human being, right? Yeah, exactly. Human, I, I human, beings, are, right? human, be- human beings are weird things and human yeah. beings are, are unpredictable things. Yeah. Um, as you know, guys can get hurt. Uh, sure. But as you also know, um, you know, and I tell people this all the time, you know, and I think it's something important for you to know is like players are human beings. Players are not stratomatic cards where you roll a dice and there's expected outcomes. You know, um, guys have years that exceed our expectations by an incredible stretch and guys have seasons that are really bad that exceed our expectations by an incredible stretch um and at times and i'm sure you i mean i know you have plenty of good memories i'm sure you have plenty of bad memories too i'm sure you have been in, on teams and in places where it gets miserable where, where the bad stuff gets a little infectious and starts yeah. wearing on other players and you know I, I i can think of a player um and you know who i know this about like if you looked at this guy's career, you would get, it just goes like arrives in the big leagues, like all-star level stuff, MVP level stuff, starts to, starts to age, gets in his thirties and, and no longer MVP level stuff, but still star productive dude. You'd want your lineup every day. Right. 
And then he has one year um, that's awful. And you would think he might be done. That's how bad this is. Like kind of guy might be, might be maybe an NRI candidate next year. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's three or four more all-star star level seasons sure. before he starts to fade. That, that one horrible season, that one line on his baseball reference page, that's a nightmare. He was going through a horrible divorce. Yeah. You don't, you know, as a fan, you didn't know that. Right. You know, and he kept it, he kept it a private situation. Um, but like, there's all sorts of stuff people go through that affects their performance and, you know, bad starts can lead to bad seasons. That stuff gets, you know, kind of, it turns into a virus, if you will, it kind of spreads around among the team. And, you know, some guys come back from a not, but, and it's just always the health factor. I'd be interested with that Red Sox team you discussed of kind of seeing what was projected for that team. Forget about performance. Just, I would love to just kind of see what that projection was with each player and their, and, the, and what went into that projection in terms of just anticipated plate appearances or innings. Sure. Right. And then yeah. see what you actually got. Um, because there's always this, there's always the health factor, you know, no one expected the diamondbacks to be this bad this year. And they're really probably not this bad. They're not a good team, but they're not this awful. I mean, the diamondbacks went weeks at a time without any of their five projected rotation guys being available, right? No team can survive that. There's not a team in baseball that can survive that, but you know, and so, you know, think of how disastrous the brewers, the Dodgers would be if not a single one of their five starting guys was available. Um, and so that kind of stuff can just can just crush you. But you know, there's you know, it's it's it's, it's I don't think it's really appreciated the, the 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 variability of baseball players. Um, and at times there are no factors whatsoever, um, other than maybe a little bit of luck one way or another. And 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 you know, I've seen um, you know, and I've seen teams take advantage of it really when it comes to contracts. I've seen, you know, a player hit, I'll just make up numbers, hit, you know. 285 with 25 bombs and 80 walks the next year it's 260 with 15 and you know you're told hey this guy's a free agent can you look at what's wrong and you go look and you go nothing literally nothing is wrong some shit didn't go well for him yeah. you know and at times like the guy goes from 280 with 20 and hits 300 with 25 and they go hey what, what do you get right and, you know what is and you go back and you go nothing he's really the 280 with 20 guy that's who he is he just had a season there was some bunch of shit went right for him. Um, and so, you know, all those things, like the variability of baseball players, um, especially pitchers, um, especially relievers, you know, there are maybe 10 to 12 relievers who you can actually count on where you're like, I know I'm going to get a good year out of them. And there are, you know, 200 relievers where you wouldn't be shocked if you got like a two ERA out of 60 innings and you wouldn't be shocked if you got a five ERA out of 60 innings. Um, it's just relievers are, you know, a hair pulling nightmare for the most part. And also one bad inning away from their season blowing exactly. up. Exactly. Like, you know, the Aaron Loop's got a point in five. Now, yeah, like. sure. But, you know, he, you know, he gives up three, you know, he gives up a three run bomb a week from now. All of a sudden he's got a normal RA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm, I was looking the other day. I was like, Loopy, you got a point nine eight. Like, that's, it's I mean, who be, does? Uh, it's good know? to be left handed. Yeah, I guess. I have a question. I have quite, you guys are dominating right now, which I'm perfectly okay with. Um, Astros went from not really competing for playoff contention and ended up winning a World Series. Was there any shift? Because I feel like right now in the game, there's like rebuilding teams and there's teams that are winning. It, it, there's no like clear everybody's trying to win ball games right now. At least it doesn't seem like it. What was that? What was that transition like inside the front office and decision making and like going from you, know, you guys had some pretty good drafts coming up as you guys were building what was that transition like in terms of free agent signings and, and guys you were targeting and just like 
there's got to be a different feel to that and energy to that whole organization. There is, but I mean, there is like, um, you know, I, I think there's a mistake a lot of teams make and you're right. There are a lot of teams that are tanking and, and I don't like, you know, I say this as someone who was on a team that tanked, like, I don't like it, but I'm also kind of a don't hate the player, hate the game kind of guy. I, I, I think baseball should have a rule set that encourages teams to put their best product on the field as opposed to the rule set they have right now, which does not. Um, and, and hopefully that will be solved in the next collective bargaining agreement. You know, regression. They have to regress into the minor leagues. So um, we get into this thing, but you know, I, I think there's kind of four steps and I think it starts with um, wow, we suck. So that's, that's your Baltimore's and, and Arizona's of the world right now. Right. And then it gets to, um, we have some young players who are coming. We have some young players here who might be part of a team that's really good. Um, you know, we have some young players here who are not part of a team that's really good. We're, but we're evaluating that right now. And we're not good, but like we're dangerous. You know, you're kind of, it's, we're, we're Detroit. Like you go see, like Detroit's not a good team yet, the but twins. like, yeah, twins. But you're sitting there, you're, you're going like, you yeah, know, we got to go to Detroit. We got to pay attention. Like we got to sit up, you know, we got to pay attention here. There's on the right day, they can just flat out out, out athlete you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then the next one is like, we're sneaky good. Like, you know, things, some things break right first. We might sneak into a wild card. This is the Mariners of the world right now. Um, we're sneaky good. Like, we're not great. We're not going to compete for a title. We're sneaky good. Um, and then is like, hell yeah, let's go for it. You know, we are the, the, the Dodgers, the Brewers, um, you know, the Rays. Like, let's, like, we're in this. We have a real chance of getting a ring. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing you can get stuck with and the biggest challenge to that is recognizing when you are in those four stages. And, and when to kind of do what you need to do to take you to the next stage in terms of, of acquisitions. And, you know, you need to avoid being, get, getting stuck. Like, you know, I would, I would call, you know, in their, uh, you know, the Rockies, the Pirates, these are teams that seem stuck um, and, and can never kind of do what they need to do to recognize how to get, you know, how to eat that. We're already in that level or how to get to that next level. Cause you need to have the slow level or you just get stuck. From a minor league standpoint, uh, I'll retrace just a little bit. When I talk to parents that are have kids in high school, I tell them like every year needs to have like six pretty good baseball players to be competitive at the high school level. So senior year, junior, those two classes, you get six pretty decent players. You're going to have a competitive team at, at the varsity level. When you look at uh, a minor league system feeding into a major league system, what's like, what's a realistic or hopeful projection in terms of how many guys are going to kind of make it and contribute at the big league level. Is there, are there any benchmarks there or any insight? I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, is if you actually measure it um, and measure what you on average get from a minor league system, you would be floored at how little it is. Um, you know, if, if at any point, like it's, if you just, you know, threw a dart right now and picked a team. Um, and if that team got a star, a regular, a bench player, one starter and two relievers, they'd be doing pretty good if that's what they got out of their current minor league system. If that's all they got, they would actually be above average, you know? Um, and that's what you need to remember. And, you know, it's something, obviously Chris knows this, the attrition rate in the minors is enormous. It's horrifying. Like I can't, I don't, you know, whenever you see someone saying, uh, you know, oh, well, I could hit that guy or I could do like, you have no idea how good major league baseball players are. It is terrifying 
how good these guys are. And people, you know, a guy gets called up and like, oh, I can't believe the Mariners are doing this, Jared Kelnick. Like they're they're keeping him from being a superstar. And like, and then he comes up and hits 150 for a month and strikes out and after the patch. You know why? Not because Jared Kelnick's not good. Because these dudes are unbelievable. Like he never he has never seen breaking balls like this. And forget My about that. So different. I think everybody's horseshit. By the way. So. Yeah, I mean, like they, they, none of them. Like he's never seen a breaking ball like that. Forget about the breaking ball quality. He's never seen a guy who can locate a breaking Just ball like that. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's the thing. Like you know, we can go through. It's like he's seen ninety eight before. That's fine. Like he hasn't seen a guy who's like going to go. You know, at one Oh is going to dot the outside corner with 98 bang, bang. And then next thing you know, he's one, two, like he's never seen that before. He's never seen a breaking ball of that quality, but not only a breaking ball of that quality, but a breaking ball that the dude can land in the zone or chase. And you have no idea, which is, you know, where it's coming from and halfway out of the hand, you still don't know if it's going to land in the zone or, or, or fly a foot out. You know, it's, 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 you have no idea how good these dudes are. Um, and, and so, you know, these, most of the minor league players aren't good enough, period. The overwhelming majority of them aren't even close to good enough. It's, I mean, it's that good. The quality of play is that good. And so, you know, we, you know, everyone does it. You know, Fangraphs is as guilty as anyone. And we do it because the readers demand it. But, you know, you want to see these top 30s, top 40s, top 50 prospect lists. Like, that's a lot of dudes who are never going to, you know, see a day. I think it's so funny when like the number 15 ranked prospect in an organization one year is like this dude I know. And I'm like, man, he's terrible. And then <laughs> he gets released two years later and everybody's Absolutely. like, what happened? I was like, well, he stunk. Like he just got on a list because right, he was a second round pick yeah, and he was a second round pick, had some hype and it didn't work so, out. So I, I have a follow up to all this. Like, I, I think you're making tremendous points and obviously like there's a reason why you're good at what you did and all this stuff. I think you got the wrong guy, but go ahead. <laughs> So my question is, why the hell do people talk about farm systems and like value the farm and we don't want to spend money because like this is the place where I think it's all bullshit, right? Because now I've been on the player side of it. And I, I would I was the guy that would have played for like, I would have paid to play in the big leagues, right? And I think most guys before they get there would say the same things. And I would have played baseball, like literally, I, I, I didn't, I never got a signing bonus. I played independent ball for seven years, all this crap, right? Like, we sit, I'm sitting here listening to these front offices and the media and MLB network and all these people saying, well, you know, we got to save money. We can't spend. And I'm like, dude, you know why the Dodgers win? Cause they go pay for players that are good at baseball, like out of their farms, like that's with their team right now. Right. Like with their team, like who have they developed? Like Walker Bueller. He was nasty before. Yeah. Urias. Seeger came up there, right? Like Seeger came up, Bellinger came up, Urias came up, Will Smith came up. I mean, they right. developed a lot, but they, so like you said, it's you still have Betts and Scherzer and Trey Turner and Justin Turner, and and, and they still have playing Max Muncy off of scratch, AJ Pollock. Yeah, like, right. uh, the, the, the best teams, like Aaron said, all oh, the best teams, you know, draft and develop their own players. That's true, and the but, but the very best teams do that and spend money when they need to to, to bring in superstars. Why, but why don't teams spend money every year? And like, I, I'm tired of like the whole like small market. There's no such thing as a small market team. Thank I, let you. Me, let me Thank you. This. He said it out loud. Uh, yes. Let me, let me say this real. Let me say this right now. Um, I would, you know, before I worked in baseball, I would write this as owning a baseball team is a license to print money. Eight years inside on the inside of things. I did not see a single thing to dissuade me of that notion. Thank you. 
owning a baseball team is a license to print money. I don't care if you are the Dodgers or the Rays. Yes. You could spend on players. Like think I think the Rays could, you know, sign Bryce Harper if they want to. Correct. Like I, you know, the Yankees could spend 340 on payroll and still turn a huge profit. Um, owning a baseball team is a license to print money. Period. Um, and and so every team could spend more. But they, you know, you get into, and this is this is the danger of tanking. And I will give credit to um, Jim Crane, who owns the Astros, who said, "When you want me to spend the money, I'll do it." And he lived up to that promise. And the, the Astros are a team that, you know, is up against the cap. Team should go over the cap, but that's another story. But he, he, you know, the Astros now are teamed up above the cap. When when they sucked, it was more like I love that you're calling it, it like cap, it was like forty. Way. It's a cap. It is a cap. Yeah. And so teams treat it like a cap, so it's a cap. So, you know, and so I give them credit, but then other teams get into this where they have tanking and the owner's going, man, we suck, but I'm making a lot of money because my payroll's, you know, 45 mil. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so if I spend, we might not win and then I won't make as much. And like the one thing I know about billionaires is they're obsessed with becoming multi-billionaires. And so more, it's the line from Wall Street money. The money never sleeps. What's your number? Right, more. The money never sleeps. And so. Like it's, you get into this kind of trap with it. And um, yeah, there's no small market team. Every, every, every team in baseball is making unbelievable amounts of money, just like sleeping on beds filled with money. And and that's the thing. And the, you know, uh, creative accounting is a wonderful thing. It's a unique thing to American capitalism. And, you know, you buy a team for $300 million, you claim biblical losses for a decade and then sell it for a billion too. How'd it work out for you? You did okay. You did okay. We're and that's what okay. I tell people this all the time. I'm like, it, if any of these teams like had a hundred million dollar loss one year, like it wouldn't matter because they what, all survived what happened in, like, what happened in 2020. They all, it all, like it sucked for a lot of them. But like, if, if, here's the thing like, if I give you a quarter every year and then something bad happens in the year, I go, hey, you got to give me a dime back. You get to go, oh, we had biblical losses this year. Yes. What happened to all the quarters I gave you last decade? You yeah. just gave me a dot, you know, and it's, it's, you can get trapped in this. Don't believe any of it. And Don't not believe, to mention, and not to mention, you could lose the hundred million dollars this year. Like you could be in the red a hundred million bucks, but your valuation just went like up by 200 million. Franchise so you're chilling. Like there's no, fine. there's no creditor that wouldn't offer a line of credit to a major league baseball team. Like if Coca-Cola was like, you guys owe us 50 million this year, like they're not going to shut off your account because like next year right. at the stadium, there's going to be double the volume of people buying soda. I, so I like, know of a specific team last year who ran out of credit and they just got more. Exactly. Right. So like, I'm so tired of like, and so to this point, right. Like I, again, I'm, I'm really, I like you. I didn't know if I was going to or not. I'm in on this. I found the one guy. No, 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 this is great. Like, but what's up with this bullshit of like a team having a $40 million payroll. So this is my problem with major league baseball right now. And why people want to know why the league's hitting 240. First of all, I think there's not a lot of great hitters on the planet anymore, but second of all, like, I don't, I don't think, like all the best players in the world are in the big leagues right now. Like it's not the 30 teams with the best players in the world. It's like 12. And then there's like probably eight teams that are just running a bunch of children out there right now. And there's a bunch of dudes at home that are free agents who would like to still play (laughs) and can freaking hit. It's it's not even the free agents even as much as it's like, you know, 
you know, in a, in a good world, in a world that had a rule set that worked, like Adley Rushman would be catching for Baltimore right now, right? Sure. Um, and probably be their best player. And, you know, if the rule set does not change on opening day next year, Adley Rushman's going to be at Norfolk. Yeah. Because that's how it works. You know, and and again, like it's I'm not hating the player. I'm hating the game. The game, the rule set right now does not incentivize teams to put their best product on the field. It incentivizes tanking and that's why they do it. And so, you know, forget about like no teams don't need to tank. No, we have to make it so teams are not incentivized to tank. We need to make the Major League Baseball set so teams are incentivized to put their best player on the field. And there's a lot of solutions there. There's a lot of potential there. There's things we need to do to, to help that happen. And, 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 you know, a lot of it revolves around service time issues and things like that. Now, I say service time starts when a guy signs. Like yeah. you, you draft Adley Rushman, he's a free agent in eight years. Like after he signs, he's eight years after he signs. So if you bring him up in two weeks, he's a free agent in eight years. And you have him spend four years in the minors, he's a free agent in four the years. Minor, like, the minor you league got him for eight. Abomination too. It's, like, a, it's it, terrible. The minor league what? The minor league pay scale is brutal. Like the fact that it is the way it's unacceptable. It's absolutely, it's, it's absolutely unacceptable. And like, you know, everyone should be, everybody should be given a living wage and minor leaguers are not. I mean, I, the guy who works at Wendy should be given a living wage, but the, the, the fact that the way minor leaguers are paid is, is embarrassing to the game and it it shouldn't be part of it. The Arizona diamondbacks should get sent to the PCL and the Scranton. Now you want relegation. Come to the big leagues. (laughs) Juventus played in Series B one year. Like I'm just saying, like they had a fifty thousand seat stadium too. Like just soccer, saying. right? Yeah. I just do two sports, so yeah. I had to grow up in Italy, so that's the only reason I'm. I got you. I, I can I can honestly name maybe eight to ten NFL players, maybe. Period. Tom Brady's the only one that's important. Tommy, <laughs> my guy Tommy. That's why my Boston accent comes. I'm not even a Pats fan. I'm just a Tommy Brady fan. Sorry, I went too soon, Bobby. Oh, you're good. No, that was that was awesome. Uh, Chris has talked about this stuff a lot, but to hear it from your perspective, I, Chris, I think we need to get him a job at the union. Start starting fighting the good fight. <laughs> it's working on the wrong side. Uh, let's jump into some current topics because I'm curious to see some of your perspective here. So, AL East, crazy right now. I wrote, who deserves to win or lose the AL wild card right now? So we get the. The Yankees, Red Sox battled out this weekend. We talked about that a little earlier. Blue Jays were playing out of their minds, came back down to earth a little bit. How is no team just taking control of this? It seems like nobody wants to win it. It's who fun, do you think yeah. the winner? Who, who, who do you think is the best team coming out of that? Of those three, I, you know, it's 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 it's, it's it, the reason no one's taken away from this because you're talking about three good teams and three not great teams, and so they all have like real flaws. That they can get him in trouble. Um, you know, the Blue Jays have huge bridge inning issues. Like, you know, start like you know, how you get outs in the in the sixth, seventh, and eighth is a real problem for them. Um, you know, the Red Sox obviously had a, a ridiculously embarrassing COVID outbreak, but also, you know, which created some bullpen issues. They also have holes in their lineup. The Yankees have a very stars and scrubs lineup at times, where you know, once you actually once you can get past Judge and Stanton, um, their lineup can be can be pretty navigable. You know, really. And so it's 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 good. It's just about who gets hot. Like I they're all kind of even. Um, they're all equally dangerous and, and equally flawed. And you know, I just think you it it's not a huge jump or anything like that. But like honestly, you know, when you're going into a season that only has six games left, that it just being one game up is is massive. Um, so it's probably gonna be the Red Sox and Yankees. Um, you know, as as 
you know, as people who like baseball, a Red Sox Yankees wild card game will be wildly entertaining. Um, I know people get tired of the Red Sox and the Yankees, but there's a reason that they're, they have the most Sunday night games on, which is because it gets ratings two or three times that of other Sunday night games. Um, and ESPN is in the money-making business, and that's why they put the Red Sox and the Yankees on. And so it's going to be fun. Like, I don't, it's 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 hard to say anything. I, I, I you know, I, the most exciting thing to me, the best thing to be would be a, a 163 game just because it's, yes. I like chaos. Yeah, love chaos. Yeah. Chris, who do you think? Who do you think should? Who do you want to win? I know you're still a Blue Jays romantic. Nah, I, well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm a Blue Jay at heart, but I, that doesn't mean I necessarily. <laughs> it, I sorry, Toronto fans, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm rooting for you. I told you on your radio shows that I was, but I mean, I I have a relationship with somebody on every team, right? So yeah. I I evaluate these things by where are my friends, and I'm like, well, I probably have the most friends with Boston right now, I guess. Um, yep. And I'm thinking about it and I'm like, well, I'm here, you know, and like, it's just local to me. I watched this. I watched all three games of the series from that's the first three game series I've watched all year. I haven't done that all year. New York is more complete. They're more robust than Boston is like Boston's flaws. And like you were talking about the Blue Jays problems in the bullpen, the Red Sox are even more egregious at this point. I Real think, rough, because yeah. the guys that were pitching good early in the year are now not. So they, it's, you might as well just flip a coin. And then I saw the Holmes kid pitch for the first time, and I just went, who the hell is this guy? And he's getting, like, swings and misses like I've never seen from, like, the three best hitters in their lineup. So I was like, why didn't you get that guy at the deadline? And and then, I, you know, you look at Heim and his Tampa Bay Rays model of, like, well, you know, sustainable minor leagues, and this is where all this crap comes from for me, and I hate it. Because you could – like, when you, you were winning you, – the AL East was yours, and you just didn't go make three moves for two relievers and a bat and potentially a first base. Um, I, I think, honestly, the best baseball game would probably be Yankees-Blue Jays, if I had to say, but it's going to be – The best baseball yeah. game? It, it would have yeah, a chance to be the best baseball game because okay. you have bangers on both sides. Like the Red Sox, the Red Sox can hit, but like, I think both those other lineups are better. And to your point, like the Yankees, like once you get past Stanton, like everybody can be pitched to and Stanton can get be pitched to too, unless he's like mm-hmm. on one of these like ridiculous. Unless he gets locked in. Yeah. The last month and a half, you know, Stanton's very so, clicked in right now. He's dangerous. It's not, it's not all the time. But. Toronto and New York have to play each other right now. So no matter what, somebody has to lose two games in that series, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's gonna, and that's, that's at least two. So Boston goes to play the Orioles, and they could be up three by the end of the series on someone. So, yep. you know, getting swept by the Yankees wasn't like, you know, the end of them, which no, it sucks because stretch, they should no. have taken either one of the games, but they couldn't get people out, out of the bullpen. They couldn't get anything else, which you got to be able to get anything else. Like, that's what I feel like is the formula to winning nowadays. I think they're getting their losses out of the way. <laughs> like the Cardinals right now are the hottest team ever. And I think they're spending all their wins. I, it's weird how the, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The, the, like the, the, yeah, the study has been done. It doesn't matter. Teams who play well in September or don't play well in September. It's the exact same results in October. It doesn't matter. Going in hot, going in cold doesn't matter. But it, I think it might even be harder to maintain it because it's like a switch. Like, it's a milestone thing where you go into that next season and it's a different environment, a different mindset and playoff games are playoff games are a different beast from the second you walk into the stadium. You know what matters? What happens in game one? 
Yep. That's what matters. That's like, what exceptionally important. But like what happens in because I'm telling you, when we went to game one, it literally you feel like it's a new season. And I'll never forget this. It was like we were nervous, we were making mistakes we normally didn't make. And like all of a sudden now you're down one game to nothing. You're like, all right, well, we're gonna win tomorrow. Right. And then you get behind early and you're like, oh shit, this is only a five gamer. Could be screwed, yeah. yeah. But you know this. I mean, you've been like game one, like game playoff games are a completely different animal from the second you get like you walk into the field to go take BP and you can't move. You know, you go from having like two beat guys and the MLB person there yeah. to having 300 people standing around like, and, and the place is filling up a hell of a lot faster. There's yeah. twice the cameras. All of a sudden, the upper ducks. It's a totally different beast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it is. It's a different animal. You got signs everywhere. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's awesome. It, because it's what you play for, but yep. it's going to be Red Sox Yankees. I'm going to make a prediction. I never make. I don't like making predictions because I. It's the only way I can be wrong because I, I like stake the claim that I'm right 99.2 percent of the time. Right, right. Next topic. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer picked up the uh, the scouting report out of what's his name, the catcher Kirk Alejandro Kirk. Kirk's uh, fell out of his pocket or whatever it was. Oh, it was wristband. What's your, yeah, was wristband. Uh, where, where do you stand on the, the ethics of that? I think it's fair game. You drop it on If you bring it out on the field and you drop it, it's fair game. What if it was a hundred dollar bill? Would that be okay? If you're trying to, if you're trying to win the game, if who has the most money at the end, absolutely. All's fair. And love. answer the question. Like, yeah, they're, they're, you have to ask what the limits here are. Um, you know, I, I, you know, here's what I don't like is, is I didn't like Kiermaier's presser the day later where he just lied about it. Yep. Period. Like if you took it to say you took it and then, and, and you took it and then Sarah typically like handed it to Kevin Cash kind of low and Hey, check out what I found. That's fine. But like, don't lie about it then. Thank you, you. You did it. You did it. Like you and did not it. to mention like, there's a like hundred cameras there. Like, right. I mean, the whole world's going to catch it. it. So you did it. And so, I mean, it, honestly, it's it's it was kind of a whatever for me. Um, they're going to change it up, and and you know, and I think you know, and, and obviously Chris would tell you that there are plenty of times he stepped into the box and and he knew what was coming from the pitcher, and he still struck out because the pitch was too good. And ding, you know, ding, ding, like you yeah. know what I mean. You know, pit, hitters in the big leagues have been, you know, you're 500 bat, at bats into the season. It's late September. You've already been to the plate 500 times. You know exactly how dudes are attacking you. And most most teams are attacking you the same because they see the same thing the other teams see, right? And they see the same thing. They're like, you know, so many guys just like, hey, like flip it a breaking ball. Oh, oh it's a strike stealer because they're, they're, they're an oh, oh, auto take, right? And then we're going to work out, out, out because they like it in. And it's, you know, and you go play the Royals or you go play the Mariners. They both know this. And so here's this guy, like, you know, try, try to avoid the strike stealer. If it's good pitch, swing at it. But, you know, I've spent 500 bats, hard to break bad habits. Oh, I'm 01. Here comes out, 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 you know, and you know this. And, and it's so, uh, you know, I don't think it gave them a huge advantage. And I don't really think it's a big deal. Like, I, it, you know, yeah, I thought it made a big nah. deal. But I, I just wish Kiermaier said, yeah, I took it and I gave it yeah, to the answer. Tough shit. You, you dropped it. Like, I wish, he, I wish he said that. Yeah, because KK yeah. had to look all pretty on TV. Wise, But, I'm so tired of like the cushy ass generation of like, oh, like, well, you know, like, listen, everybody, like, not to like, I don't even know if this is a sore subject for you, but the whole bullshit, I've said this Talk to Bobby about a thousand no, times on the air. At all. I was like, you, I, I like, you could, I know what's coming 88.962% of the time. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care if you have the signs. I don't care if you bang trash cans. Like, 
If you execute, you win. And if you don't like somebody stealing your signs, don't let them steal your signs. It's that easy. Like, it's not hard. People have been stealing signs for 150 years. This bullshit is like we live in a generation where people complain, and that's it. Like, people want to complain about everything. Like, if you don't like your signs being stolen, then have better signs. Like, I don't like people breaking into my house, so I put locks on my door. Like, if I don't put locks on my door, I'm the asshole when somebody comes in. Right. Don't like a, you don't like Acuna flipping a bat. Don't throw him a 94 down the pipe. Yeah. And if you don't like it, throw it in his back. That's cool. So, like, too. Like, throw it in his back. He'll learn his lesson. That's what happened. Like, that's the way baseball policed itself for hundreds of years. Like, why are we making it bigger than what it is? We should be moving forward instead of backwards. This is the shit that pissed me off. <laughs> Sorry. I got like five minutes. Yeah, I know. Yep, we're I'm watching the clock. Uh, I'm going to skip Anthony Ghost. He's throwing 100. That's awesome. Good for MVP him. race. Very curious to hear your take on. Oh, you're not going to like my take. Uh, I might. I think Shohei's your pick, if I had to guess. I don't give a shit. That's my take. And, and neither should you. Really? That's my take. So I am in the player evaluation business. Yep. My job is to look at players and see how good they are. How a group of writers line guys up should play zero role in how I see a player. So whether Shohei Otani finishes first or third, I don't really care. It doesn't matter because it's not going to change in any way how I evaluate or value Shohei Otani. I am a huge music fan. I don't give a shit who gets a Grammy. I am a huge film fan. I don't give a shit who gets the Oscars. But I can guarantee you, if I looked at those awards, I'd go, man, that's a bunch of garbage. I could name 30 better albums and 100 better movies. Like, I don't care how a bunch of writers vote. And again, I like these. I have plenty of friends in the BBWA and I think they're perfectly fine, right? And, and they can make intelligent decisions, but I don't give a shit how they vote for MVP. I just don't care. It doesn't matter to me whatsoever because it doesn't move the needle on what my job is. My job is to evaluate a player. And if he gets an MVP award or finishes fourth, that's not going to change how I feel about the player. So I don't care. And I really... I, I, I don't understand why anybody cares except for maybe the players themselves, which I think, you know, it means a lot to them. That's great. It's like, you know, it's like pitcher wins. People, oh, pitcher wins are dumb. That's fine. But you know what? When that dude gets a win, he feels good and he tries for it and it means something. So pitcher wins matter to him. And so that's good enough for me. But like me, I could give a shit about who wins the MVP or the Cy Young and like people in September going, oh, if Shohei Otani finishes second, I'm going to go smash a car. You're, first of all, you're getting mad about something that hasn't happened yet, which is a really bad habit. Something you need to get way out of. Get, if you want to get mad when it happens, whatever, like, like live your life. But you know, to get mad about like, this might happen. I'm mad about it now. Like, why do that? And then like 2021, though. It's September. Focus on the games. We're having fun. Like, it's is great. The Braves are playing the Phillies tomorrow. Let's focus on the games. I don't, I could care less. Like, and the thing is, like, even if they got it wrong, right? It, let's say you know, for whatever, like they all checked the wrong, they all filled in the wrong part of the Scantron or whatever. Right. And, and, and all of a sudden Kendall Graveman won the Cy Young and, it, it, and something like that happened. And, and, you know, and, and Evan White was the MVP. I wouldn't care then either. I don't care. Don't care. That's my, list. don't care about awards. They don't. So that matter. being said, who's going to win the MVP? <laughs> so I, that was, I love your answer. I'm, that was I'm awesome. Here. I love it. I don't care. It doesn't yeah. matter. So let me let me ask a, a, a reasonable follow. I think a reasonable follow up. How does Shohei rank in terms of like valuation of players? It's unlike anything we've ever seen before. Like it's literally 
She's off the charts. It's literally it's off the charts. It's 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 even be. I mean, Babe Ruth didn't do this shit. Like it's it's unbelievable, and it's it's funny because I think that was interesting about Shohei Itani as somebody who once worked in the front office in a couple of years and put an arbitration case with him. Um, just because and I talked to someone on our team about this because we were having fun and like if I was Shohei's agent, like I would go into that arbitration case and just go, here's what he, he's worth as a position player, and here's what he's worth as a pitcher. Adam and, and I would say throw sweetener on top of that for only taking up one roster spot with it. How about that? Absolutely. And all of that and just add it up. And like, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, it's 30 yeah, something. 40 million. Like, come yeah. on. Like it's 30 something mil. Let's go. Uh, just add them up. And so, uh, you know, I, yeah, obviously what he's doing is historic. I do wonder, you know, especially when we've seen him, um, you know, have to start, have to skip a start and, and you see how the bats, you know, gone down is just, I, I do wonder how gassed he is from doing it. Um, it's, you know, and obviously Chris can speak to this, but it's such a grind, man. Like 162 and 180 games, it's a lot. It is such a tiring thing. And um, and I do wonder if it's caught up to him. We should have last month. I think it's going to, it's, it's affecting his mental more than anything. I think that's the biggest challenge for a bit. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think we should let him take greenies just to see how good it could be. <laughs> Pretty special. Might be stupid good. Like he might hit 60 next year and then go 24 and 0. Like absolutely. Let him take greenies. He needs a TUE for Adderall. Somebody get him one. Oh boy. All right. Kevin, you got a hard stop. Thank you I so do. much for coming on. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me anytime, guys. I I you won. You won. I, you, I, it's binary for me. Either you can hit or you can't. You, you can hit, man. I'm, I'm down. I'm down to talk more baseball with you. I, I'd be, I'd be, and I would enjoy our conversations, especially now that you can be so candid. And I can too. I don't give a shit about what I say. <laughs> All right, Chris, do the thing. On that note, postseason pickle out. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>